Welcome to the Austin Action Fest podcast. We focus on filmmaking from idea to distribution and everything in between. We focus on you getting your project in the can and for the world to see. Thank you for listening to the Austin Action Fest podcast. Now let's get cracking. Hey there, how you doing? Good, how are you? Happy, alive. <laughs> Good to see you again. Nice to oh, see you too. How's the weekend going? It's good. <laughs> it's a lot of a lot of Zoom time. It is a lot of Zoom time. A lot of Zoom time. Let's move some things around here. <laughs> All right. Well, we're glad to have you today. I'm glad to be here. This is very cool. Glad you're doing this. I'm going to introduce you really quickly and uh all right hold on a second i'm getting sick all moved around how you doing chill you good i had a crap load of technical issues but uh -huh. right now i'm good you know what this is the zoom this is a zoom arena so we'll roll with whatever we we have and we'll just keep on going <laughs> all right everybody we have the awesome wonderfully talented jennifer hutchins jennifer hutchinson is a producer she is a producer on a new CBS All Access series. You know, what? I'm reading a little bit because my, my screen is not working for my technical difficulty. So I'm going to read a little bit to make sure I get everything correct on you, Jennifer, okay? All right. <laughs> She's a new producer on the CBS All Access series about animal rescue in Central Texas. She has produced over 200 episodes of docuseries television for CBS, A&E, Paramount Network, TLC, Sci-Fi, Discovery, Fox Sports, Nat Geo, YouTube Originals, Amazon, The Travel Channel, and her most recent, which is what we just talked about, is a CBS All Access series with director Richard Linkletter and Bill Gutentag. Did I say Gutentag correct? You did. Oh, I'm impressed. Yes, good. I'm impressed with myself. And so and she also has a wonderful um, networking um, uh, um, website um, that is uh, austinentertainmentbusiness.com. And we'd love to talk about that some more as we go along. But uh, I'm glad to have you. We're both glad to have you. So Chill's my, chill's my tag team buddy here today. Cool. And uh, So we switched out Keisha. She was going to be here originally, but t Chill is already connected to you. And we felt like, you know what, let's just roll with that. <laughs> Sounds good. So um, uh, Jennifer, if there's anything else that I missed on your intro, feel free to step in there and um, let's get to going. Right. Well, Go for it. I was just going to say you missed my Dukes of Hazard past uh, that led me into storytelling, but that's another story. Well, you know what? Let's <laughs> go with that. So tell us, just kidding. tell us a little bit about, um, you know, I, I read a little about the introduction, but a little bit more about how you got started in the business, what led you down the path where you are now, and, um, and how are you in your happy place where you are right now? <laughs> Um, well, I, I grew up in a small town in Michigan, and we thought we lived in the most boring town on the face of this earth. And, um, you know, we'd just go get lost and find interesting people in interesting towns. And we'd, we would say, it'd be a Saturday, we'd go, let's go get lost. And we would go get lost. And um, I think that somehow led to my love of storytelling and people. And I didn't realize I had that until I got to college and started telling my stories. And people would be kind of... Uh, jaws open eyes wide out like you did what and I'm like oh yeah there was a jump bridge in the woods and you know we just took a speeding or we took our car and just sped it over and flew and they're like you're not you weren't afraid of dying we're like we came from a small town I guess we didn't think we were gonna die we were just so bored we're trying to figure out what sort of mess we could get into um so that led to journalism and uh the love of hearing other people's messy stories too and I just found it fascinating that um, uh, that how people can think that their lives are boring when they're not. They're so interesting. It's just boring because you know your story. Um, and, you know, eventually that led to Hollywood that, and that led to doing uh, docu-series and documentary type stuff and some films and um, all kinds of stuff. Talk about the producing side. You know, what, what made you interested in the producing of all this puzzle? Because there's so many facets of being behind the camera. Yeah. What struck you with that? Well, when you're in, in docu-series, um, well, actually, you know what, I should, I should define, because uh, I've also done variety and stage shows and docu-series, um, 
not too much reality. Uh, but when you're, when you're in those sort of genres, a lot of times you're wearing a lot of hats. So at various times you are the writer, you are the director, you are the locations, you are the casting, depending on what sort of production it was. Um, so it felt very similar to journalism to me. Um, you know, I worked at CBS news station back in Michigan and oftentimes I'd get called out on a, a, a story and I would be holding the tripod and setting it up and then doing my own standup. Um, so the transition was easy. As a producer. <laughs> um, so, so producer, basically you, you know, you are the boss, you're making the decisions, but a lot of times there's a lot of bosses and a lot of cooks in the kitchen. So it kind of just depends. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Did you have a question, Jill? No, what I'm saying is one of the jobs as a producer, uh, you fill in the holes that need to be filled in. Is right, that right. Yeah, you, you, I mean, you look at the overall picture with what is happening and exactly, you step in or fill in any holes and you try to create a scenario where people can do their jobs, but you're there you know, to solve problems as they come up to. I always visualize myself standing in a baseball field and with one of those baseball machines and the balls are coming and you've either got to hit the ball, solve the problem or get hit in the face. <laughs> So that means before you are a producer, you have a certain skill set so you can jump in if, if that requires, if you don't have the people. Yeah, you know, I think the type of personality is uh, you're, you're a type of person that um, uh, really holds the production as if it were your own. Yeah. And so you, you take it personally when, when things go wrong on, like you care, you know, how can I solve this? How can I make it better? Or when there's creative, if you don't agree with it, you don't say, I don't agree with it because that's disrespectful to your teammate, but you might say, hey, would you think that if we did this, it might enhance it? Or you know, just throw a hundred shitty ideas out there and maybe 10 will stick. Understood, understood. Yeah, you know, um, oh, go ahead, Jill. You were gonna say something. No, I, I was thinking, so when you're doing the job as a producer, what gets you in trouble with the upper echelon with your bosses um, when you do don't, actually what is, are your responsibilities to your to your bosses right uh, you know on on the creative side when when, when you're doing a television series it's uh, it's funded by the network that's going to distribute it right so they are your partners and you are hand in hand with them from day one, from pre-production to uh, delivering them write-ups on what each episode is going to look like, mm -hmm. who the characters are going to be in that. And, and when I say characters, I mean real people as well, you know, because we're just showing a, a small side of their life story. Right. Um, you know, you, you don't have a hundred hours to show somebody's entire story, you know, so what angle of their story are you choosing and, you know, what are they going to show us and reveal to us about themselves? So there's a conversation that happens in the, in the prep of all of this, you know, right. what's coming up in this person's life that we're going to follow, you know, so by the time, you know, our expensive days come where you've got, you know, sometimes one camera, sometimes 10 cameras, sure. sometimes one audio, sometimes five audios, you know, and you, you could be looking at a, you know, $20,000 day upwards. Right. You better know what you're going to shoot that day. So you'd better have dailies that you can show uh, execs or... Yeah, so, so you know, we, we, we talk like a team going into the shoot. Sometimes the execs will come out on set too, especially the first couple of shoot days. Mm -hmm. um, after we shoot, it, uh, post starts up right away. The day one of shooting post starts up. So all those materials are getting delivered to the editors, the post supervisor, they're organizing it and they're hitting the ground running too. So now you open up a third conversation with your post team uh, well, here was our intention, but here's what actually happened. And right. then you might have a whole other set of story producers that are putting together the story that's actually just happened and working hand in hand 
um, with the, talking to the field team. Sometimes, you know, I've been on shows where we've got uh, anywhere from three to 10 field producers mm -hmm. that are rotating or simultaneously shooting things. Um, so I often uh, am a, a supervising producer or uh, executive producer. And in nonfiction, that's pretty much the captain of the ship where you're overseeing the various teams as they're going out. So they're reporting back and, oh, I just got this with the story. I just got this with the story, this with the story. And so you're looking, okay, how are we going to piece this all together live in your head and then communicating that with, uh, with your editorial team too so, so they know where to look. Because you're talking about hundreds of hours of footage now ingesting, ingesting into the Avid systems. Right. And sometimes you might have 10 edit bays uh, that go up into an umbrella unity system that gets them all talking together so they can edit simultaneously with all the footage. Okay. You know, you're making me think of something. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's, there's some people listening that are, there's people on all different levels that are listening to this. And so I like to, to have those that, even though they know all this stuff, there's those that have no clue of what you're talking about. And so I, I would really like for you to, to one, if you could talk in the day of the life of what you do, but kind of give a little bit of a little bit of insight to the different levels of producers. What, what, what is a producer? Mm -hmm. What, what different types of producers are there? And here's where I typically find my hat right now. Okay. So uh, I think to, to say simply, there's two, two types of producers, if we're going to just make it very simple. Um, one is very creative and one really knows budget and logistics. And so when you start out in your career, you can kind of go these two paths, uh, one or the other, usually for most people. Um, and, and the path with the logistics and budget is you, you're overseeing how to execute the creative vision um, while uh, executing the numbers you've been handed down. You know, so you might have $100,000, you might have $5 million. And, you know, what does that look like? You know, if you've got $100,000, you're not going to do a lot of night shoots because you don't have the money to buy the expensive lighting to make it look pretty and be able to see people. <laughs> so your script might transition into a lot of daytime shooting. Um, you know, it's expensive to have a script with a lot of different locations because that means a company move probably means more um, days on your production calendar. So you'll see in a lot of um, cheaper sort of productions, maybe it's just one or two homes or somebody's apartment, you know, how do you condense things down, but, um, and still maintain or keep your creative, you know, you, if you have a, a smaller budget production, you might just have a small group of extras, not a hundred extras wearing zombie makeup. <laughs> um, and I think this is a, a misconception that people don't quite understand when they're writing scripts and they're starting in the bit in the industry they think that their first script is going to be this time period piece set in the 1800s and oh it's so great and everybody's going to want to buy it well what everybody all the buyers are thinking is this is a first time writer who just slapped a hundred million dollar price on their script i don't think so <laughs> you know it's it, it's the same sort of thought of um oh, hey, I have a good idea for cereal. I'm going to go start a $100 million cereal company, even though I know nothing about cereal. And I think people will probably want to give me money for that. You know, and when you think about it that way, you're like, ah, why would, what? We don't know you. Why am I going to spend $100 million on an unproven author? Right, right. Uh, because, you know, whether it is nonfiction or fiction, the script is, a, is alive. If you think you're going to walk into shooting and your script isn't going to change, you're crazy. You, maybe, maybe the very, very top writer, you know, the top five writers, Stephen, people that have proven their stuff, Stephen King, um, maybe they don't get edited as much. But, you know, right. most people, you know, they go in, you start to realize some of the dialogue's not working or this scene's not working or whatever. It's, it becomes alive. And then, you know, as the script is reprint, reprinted through the shoot days, you'll have those pink papers that start appearing and the green papers and the, you know, various colors that signify, here's the script changes that are happening as we're shooting. So anyways, uh, that's, that's a long story on the sort of budget thoughts of things. Okay. Now you might be a producer that likes creative, or do you guys have any questions on the budget side? No. Yeah, no. you're clear. 
<laughs> so you might, you might uh, be going down the creative track and a lot of people in, um, in the documentary docu-series sort of angle start out as an associate producer and then work their way up to a, a field producer, segment producer, uh, segment director, supervising producer, senior producer, and executive producer being uh, the top one. And so you might have a whole team of 10 producers who uh, also have assistants helping them out and they're simultaneously writing creative and interviewing people on the phone and uh, working on booking locations. Maybe you're lucky enough to have a location manager that you can oversee. Um, you're talking with the budget people saying, you know, here's the creative for this scene. Um, we were thinking like we probably want an overhead angle with a drone and you know, and then it transitions into night. It'd be nice to have the house lit up with a lot of lighting, you know, and you start to kind of go back and forth with the creative vision, but how do we execute it too? So uh, I guess, you know, I'm gonna slightly go backwards a little bit because you did ask the question, I said no. But, you know, my mind goes to the line producer immediately on the other side. Mm -hmm. Can you tell people what a line producer is? Sure. So the line producer, and this is something that I just um, uh, wore that hat in addition to additional hats for the CBS show with Richard Linklater, um, is you're handed a budget. Sometimes somebody else has made it or not. Sometimes you're the one making it. And, you know, they say, we have this amount of money, break out the lines and produce it. And so then you sit there and work with the creative producers on what's their vision. So what are we going to shoot? You know, what are you guys thinking? You know, where am I going to have to put the money? If there's a lot of um actors and extras and are they screen actors guild you know i might have to have that line be a bit higher have we made any deals with celebrities what's their amount i have to pay you know what's the deal that the executives what are they getting um and we called all that money above the line um what's their travel what's their per diem what's their housing you know is is this all local or are people going to be traveling across the country okay now i've got to think about plane tickets and you know, how are they going to get it from point A to B in hotels and deals? Uh, and then I start looking below the line and it's, you know, if this is a docu-series, uh, docu-follow show, oh, is that just one, um, you know, handheld camera that's going to follow? So I only have to budget maybe for one guy at any, or girl, guy or girl at any given shoot? Or are you envisioning that we've got, you know, four camera coverage at all times? It's not going to feel as realistic but you know, we've got the coverage. Mm -hmm. And so that will you know, increase or decrease the number. And you just keep breaking it down from there and it's constantly alive because these are all predictions. You know, and then you get out and you start shooting and you go, oh my God, I needed a lot more money in locations because I'm in LA and every location wants to charge me $10,000 a day. I forget, I think people forget that their, their creation is alive. Yeah. It is, and, and then a lot of hands get into it too. And so uh, anybody that thinks they can be an island in this process probably won't work very long in it. You have to be willing to um, open, open yourself up to a team and everybody else's thoughts and participation and, and making it come alive. Um, and you should feel very gifted and happy if you've gotten to this point and you were the writer or you were the producer or you, know, you got something sold. Um, but you have to you have to let go a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So uh, speaking of letting go, the reason why you got these people in the first place is is because of their talents. You kind of have to sometimes, based on what I've heard and seen, you can let them be talented within the scope of what the project is. So I know sometimes it gets more expensive. So how do you rein that in? when someone gets too creative, that, you know, that's a word, if, if that's too creative and you just need to narrow the focus. Yeah, so you know, oftentimes directors will uh, go off on a creative vision that just simply cannot be afforded. You know, oh gosh, the scene would be so much better if it was shot at night and we light up the whole house and we light up the whole street and we get an upper angle and an upper, and I go, okay, great. You know, that's a $50,000 shoot. If that's really important to you in this script, like it's going to make or break it, I will also help you do that. Um, but just so you know, you can't go back to me and ask for five more of these types of shoots because I'm going to take from here to give to you here. <laughs> and 
So right. here is not going to exist anymore. So you know, the rest of your shoots better be cheap. And so you know, uh, some people some people will say, no, you can't do this because they're scared of losing their security money. Um, I always like to say, yes, but here's the repercussions if you, if you do this. Yes, we can do this, but you're going to have peas to shoot the rest of the series with yeah. or, or mm -hmm. film. What so kind of producing do you prefer to do? <laughs> um, okay. you, you know, I've, uh, this is going to age me, but I, I got into producing um, about a year after 9-11. And so I have worn many hats and I have traveled around the world and I've gotten to direct and I've gotten to write and I've gotten to uh, cast and, um, you know, work with actors and work with money and work with distributors. Um, I'm at a point right now where I prefer to merge into an area where I'm overseeing many types of projects and I'm helping people cultivate their talents mm -hmm. so that um, I can, you know, have a process where I start with them and then they can take it and run. Right. Mm -hmm. So tailoring, taking all your expertise and saying, okay, let me help you fly a little bit more. Type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the goal without knowing the goal throughout the years, because I jumped so many different places from television to film, to creative, to logistical, to budget, um, was to just know every little piece of the process. And I think the more that you know, the, the, the better equipped you are for success. And, you know, I think all of us want to own a bigger piece of whatever pie it is. And, um, and the more you know, the better you can hold on to more and so you know, get to that sort of dream state where you're not just a worker bee, but you're, you know, one of the, the bosses and you also get to enjoy in the, the income that comes in from it. Is it, is it financial or is there something else that, that you get when you like, um, uh, a feeling or whatever, what, what do you get from that whole experience about doing pivoting to that, that piece of the sharing your experience? What does that do? What is that fulfilling for you? Is that the question? Uh, the, I think the fulfilling part is getting to a point in your career where you, you know, so many people, that are really, really talented. And so being able to say yes to those people and open the doors for them to walk in and, and, and be able to show their brilliance. The more people I can keep working, the better I will feel. Yeah, I mean, what part of the whole process do you prefer? I mean, is it uh, directing, producing, uh, whatever part of, the entire process that you're in, what part do you def uh, actually prefer? Uh, you know, it, it depends on what day you're asking me. <laughs> 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 if, if it's a gorgeous 70 degree day um, and we've planned this really amazing creative shoot, I want to be standing there and being the director on it and directing the actors and having fun with them and playing with all the toys and the cameras and the lighting and looking at it and adjusting and going. Um, but then, you know, the next six months later, I might go, you know what? Oh, that was a run. You know, I was out and living in a hotel for six months. I, I'd like to just stay at the computer and write for a while. Uh, I, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the type of person that um, uh, if you were to ask me what my favorite song is, uh, today it's Paul McCartney. Tomorrow it's opera. Uh, the next day it's Metallica. You know, just I don't know about you guys, but you get in different moods. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I feel about the entertainment business. Yeah, I was listening to Kane Brown yesterday. Of course, my country because I I like everything. And then I was listening to Volbeat the other day. I don't mm -hmm. know if you know who is. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm all over the place. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think that is what's fantastic about the entertainment business is you can transition and move and groove and wear a lot of hats yeah 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 i mean i was biggie yesterday today i got some uh hole of the mountain king so yeah yeah see i think a lot of um independent filmmakers they they are trying to figure out how to navigate through the money situation 
And sometimes I think it, it makes people get stuck in taking steps. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what's your, you know, I, I've read a lot of stuff about you. We've talked to, we've talked before um, the last film festival and you are big into just do it. You know, if you got an idea, you got a dream, don't sit on your butt and wait for it to try to yeah. bring that on itself. Speak to that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it, definitely just do it. If you don't know how to do it, ask somebody, find somebody to either be your mentor or your partner. Don't go into a blindly, you know, I, I, would you go, would you get into a plane and fly it by yourself? No, but if, if you really want to go fly, find a pilot, <laughs> let them fly because they know how to do it. Uh, you know, and eventually they can teach you and maybe you can be the pilot, but you know, it's the same with the film business. Don't just take someone's money and think, you know, what you're doing with it. Like find somebody that knows how to handle the money. You know, you're talking about liabilities and payroll and accounting and you could get sued, you know, an investor could sue you. You don't want to put all that burden on your shoulders. You want to, you know, have somebody that knows what they're doing, either teach you or come in as a partner. But and when I say run, run and find them so you can keep running. Like, right. so, it, it, you know, it's kind of like the tortoise and the hare. Uh, um, you know, you can run real fast and you might run out of breath and not finish the race. Or you, could, you know, you could be the tortoise and just kind of take your time and, you know, stop at the water stop, pick up somebody and then keep going. Stop at the next water stop, pick up somebody, you know, start picking up your team. By the end of it, you're like a bus. What do you see as like a, a, a big mistake that you see consistently happening in newcomers or even people that have been here a while, but just aren't, aren't making headway mm-hmm. with whatever they're trying to do? Ego. Ego. They, really? Yeah. They, um, they, they are so set on their creative being the best that they don't want to take advice mm-hmm. or their project being the best. They don't want to take advice. Um, or they, they can't foresee to maybe maneuver, maybe put this project on hold because you have an opportunity here, go here first and then come back to this. Mm. Um, or they don't want to lose control. They don't want to lose this fake pot of money they don't have yet, you know, um, or, or they're partnering with the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, take the time to pre-produce who your team is going to be. Uh, don't partner up with five other people that also have not done it. <laughs> you know, you, you need to partner up with people that have done it that are going to be, you know, like if you're the smartest one in the room, you got a problem, you know, so that your goal should be to find everybody smarter than you so that you can get this thing going. Momentum. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I like to pre-produce the team. Yeah. I don't think people, yeah, people don't think about, they think the people that are already around them a lot of times are their pre-producing team in a sense. And so, Hey, you know, uh, listen, and I'm just talking from every mistake I have made. <laughs> so, you know, I've done that. I have done a lot of development with friends and um, uh, coworkers that were at the even Steven level as me. And I've seen, you know, how these projects go and how they die. And, uh, you know, some people have success with this, but a lot of people statistically don't. Right. And, now, speaking uh, of mistakes, this is something that we talked about last year. Um, as far as some projects, as far as distribution goes, because some of the first things that people don't think about is distribution yeah. know, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, if you're making a, you know, a film, a television show, that's a product. It's just like anything else. It's like this coffee cup my mouse, the mouse pad, I'm going to make something. Who's the buyer? Who's going to purchase this from me so that I can get paid for the year of development of making this mouse? Mm-hmm. You know, why would you make a mouse if you don't, if you're never going to get paid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so you've got to think and, 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 you know, to make this, I probably have to bring in you know, the guy that knows how to do the battery gadgets and the other guy that knows how to do the packaging. and the, 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 the. So now that I've brought in all these guys or girls, um, how are they going to get paid? I'm now responsible for them getting paid too. So um, if it's my project, I got to think first and foremost, who, who's interested in this? Mm-hmm. Um, if, they're, 
if you go to the store and there's already a thousand different brands of black mouses and they're just sitting on the shelves, maybe I got to figure out how to make some like a clear one with laser lights, (laughs) you know, like how do I make mine different so people will buy it. Um, You know, and I find this a lot of times with filmmakers that they don't look what else is out there right now. Um, you know, are, are vampire zombie movies doing well right now? Or is the market flooded with them? Mm-hmm. Are romantic comedies doing well? Or is the market flooded? We're not looking at the trends that are probably ha- that, that are happening in the marketplace. Yeah. You know, call some distributors. You know, what are you guys looking for? I know so many people that they make their dream project and then they start to uh, talk to the buyers and they're like, oh, no, I ju- we just got 200 people that submit an action adventure in the jungle. Okay, so no more. <laughs> yeah. And so unless, you know, and this is why, and people hate it when I say it, this is why sometimes it helps you to attach a, a celebrity that can open doors to your project. Um, somebody, you know, recognizable name, um, because the distributors are just like the audience. So if you imagine when you go to a movie theater, what is the first thing you look at? You look up at the, the board and say, who's in it? Val Kilmer. Okay. I like Val Kilmer. Julia Roberts. Okay. I don't know anybody in that one. Okay. Yeah. Let's just go to Julia Roberts one. The distributors think the same way because they know that you do that. So, you know, if they've got 200 films, uh, that take place about people being lost in the jungle because the series <clears throat> Lost just aired and now people are making movies about it or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, how, if, you're, if you're a nobody and those other 199 people are nobodies, um, but then um, Sam Spoon over here has Julia Roberts in his jungle movie, I'm going to go, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a look at that one because I recognize Julia. Sure. So in this space, this climate that we're in right now, this COVID space that we're in right now, are you seeing anything a little different that you, that was normal, that is just completely shifted in thinking and, and people are just kind of up in the air, just something, whatever that's looking like, I would love to know what you're, what you're seeing. Well, the first thought was, oh my God, this business is hard enough. And now we're shutting down the majority of production. We are all like oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Um, and then, uh, you know, the thing about all of us in the entertainment business is you become a little beaten up. You, you start to go into that uh, freelancer mentality, that survival mentality. So if you're like me, you've had two, three, four months where you haven't worked in the past. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it's happened enough to you, you start to figure out how to survive and how to think differently in your brain. Or maybe this is the first time for you going through this and it's super scary. Um, So either way, you have to kind of think, how am I going to survive? How am I going to still pay the bills? How am I going to get food on the table? And so the bad news is that's scary. The good news is this is making you stronger. It's making you a soldier into the freelance world. And, um, and it's forcing you to think outside of your box and your comfort level and push yourself maybe further than you're willing to go. There's people that are accessible and available right now and you can talk to them and video is so connecting. Um, so, you know, it, be, it then becomes inspiring of, you know, how can I utilize this to, you know, when things do finally reopen, I now know technology and a whole bunch more people and things are reopened and we're going to put those two things together. So basically you innovate. So innovation is like the mother of invention or necessity is the mother of invention. So what can we do as independent filmmakers to invent? So do we have to click create our own platforms online? You know, like ToLembroWashington.com, we have X, Y, and Z go to it and try to advertise that. What is the next distribution path from here? I think whatever, well, I think, what, what the question is what's the next distribution path? Well, yeah, yeah. It is, I, I, I mean, I think we're gonna see a lot of things go digital at least for the first couple mm-hmm. of years here. I mean, we already are because you can't go to the movie theater. Yeah. You know, you can't go to the film festival. 
you know, it's, um, you know, until this is figured out, you know, we're all in our little box watching mm. things in the little box. Now, the trick is how do you get people to know that your little box exists? And so it's still a distribution game and a marketing game mm -hmm. um, to, to rise above so people can find you. I mean, sure. people get so excited, mean, even before this happened, people get so excited. Oh, I just got distribution on Netflix. And then they sadly realize if you're an indie project with no known celebrities, no known director, no, 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 it ends up just in a long list of a hundred thousand films in there. And then they tell you, you have to self promote and market it so people can find you. Um, so, you know, some people are realizing that you can attach a, a social influencer to your project and that helps uh, maneuver the, the digital world. I mean, there's YouTube stars that have over billions of views on their videos to date. Hmm. Is that someone that can help you? You know, they've got a whole audience of one click. They can say something and it goes out to 40 million subscribers. So right. I think there's, there's different ways to think outside the box sure. here, but you've got to figure out how to make yourself, um, you know, rise above the, the, the vast sea of other projects. Right. Right. That's the name of the game. It's the marketing. It's to figure out how to mm -hmm. have you. Yeah, exactly. And I would suggest like admit when you don't know everything and find somebody that does. That is like the thing I will just repeat until I turn blue of find people that know more than you and can help you do this. Find the marketing guru, find the digital guru, find the branding person. You know, you can't be all those things. You're going to go nuts. This is why people drop out of the business because they get so burnt out because you try to wear so many hats. Yeah. Don't wear so many hats. Just wear your hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, you kind of alluded to a little bit of, of covering yourself. Um, you can get sued. This, this and this can happen. Is there, is there besides networking to try to find... Um, someone who might do something for a discounted fee. Is there a group, like let's say for of attorneys, that do um, attorneys type of services at a discounted rate when it comes to them in a larger pool? Yeah, every everybody's negotiable. Um, I uh, every attorney I've ever called for a project I was working on, um, I've pitched it and I've gotten tons of free attorney work because they've partnered up and we've made a deal where, you know, they'll get paid once the money comes in sort of thing. But if the money never comes in, they won't get paid, you know, and I, I, I have a lot of um, uh, guilt looking back because a lot of attorneys and other people have partnered up on projects that were passion projects early on in my life that never, you know, hit the ground and, you know, people didn't end up getting paid, but we're all still friends. You know, it was like, sorry, man, that hit the dust, but thank you. And next time there's something that pays, I will bring you in. Yeah. I ask that because I, I know so many people that have done lots of passion projects and mm -hmm. knowing some of their passion projects, they're not covered in certain aspects mm -hmm. because yeah. it's a passion project and, and um, not knowing some, not knowing that they needed certain services that would keep them safe. Yeah. Others, just didn't have the funds. And so, um, yeah, I'm sure there's people listening to us right now that haven't really thought through, let's take a look at my project and where am I missing where I should be covered? Right. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the producers guild, uh, which I'm a member of, and I've been very promotive of getting a footprint in Austin. Um, but they, they have a whole library once you're a member of template contracts that you can get you know, appearance releases, location releases, materials releases, um, you know, partnership agreements, so on, so on. But, you know, there's other resources too, like Austin Film Society um, has uh, Austin Public Studios, which is a vast amount of resources. Um, uh, we're all working out of our house, so we have people walk behind us. I know, I know. <laughs> He's trying to slink. <laughs> we can see you. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, my dog uh, 
in here a second. My German mm -hmm. speaker hop in here, so. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the, there's various places where you can, you can find like free resources that can, you know, you can just get those template contracts or whatever that can at least give you a little bit of help. You know, if you're making a project, you have to have people sign appearance releases, location releases. You know, if you show a photo of their family member in the project, that family member has to sign an appearance release and they have to sign a materials release if they were the photographer. You can't sell your project to a distributor without having your legal binder of stuff. Mm -hmm. So these are all things like if you're not doing it, then you might as well not make this project because you can't sell it. Yeah, yeah. Because so, uh, those that, people can come back and sue you and say, I never gave you permission to put me on camera or I don't like you anymore. So I will sue you if you, you know, try to sell this project. And it's happened to people with, you know, songs and appearances and all kinds of stuff. Mm. Oh, well, have you known, have you known those projects? That, that have been sued? <laughs> the people you, you spent year, year and a half of doing all this work. Yeah, bring it up to the distributor, then everyone finds out there and bam, they, they get five or six lawsuits because they didn't get all the permissions. Uh, you know, I per I've luck luckily I personally haven't had to deal with a situation like that. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of production companies that I have worked with have dealt with it. Um, you, when you're the producer, you get, you get hired to produce the series, you deliver it to the network, it airs, so on, so on. So maybe after it airs, when we're all done, we're on to the next project. Right. Somebody comes up and goes, I never signed a release to be in that show. And I just saw myself. And then they come and sue. And what happens is these productions get uh, E&O insurance, which is called errors and emissions. Because this, the ship's moving so fast and you know, you're out there shooting things, especially if it's docu-series. Sometimes people end up in the background or whatever. You assume that they saw the big signage that said, if you're, you know, we're filming, if you step here, you know, that covers us kind of, um, uh, which, you know, that originated from a dating show that was filming in a restaurant. There was a guy eating uh, dinner with uh, his girlfriend in the background and he appeared in the background of a dating show, sued the production company because he got caught cheating on his wife with his mistress in the background of the dating show what? and they didn't have a release to show him on television so he sued uh so anyways you when, when you're a production you get the errors and emission insurance just in case because anyone can sue for anything even if they have signed a release so you know you try to do the best that you can to set yourself up to not get sued but you you get the right insurance in place too and you know, and that's why I say you do need some seed money. If you're going to do any of these projects, you still got to feed people. There's still hard costs, you know, there's still expendables and, um, you know, shipping and hard drives and, you know, graphic design and there's various hard costs that you're going to incur. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm just curious. I bet you that guy he's probably trying to cover his butt because he just realized he's about to get a divorce. He's going to yeah. lose his butt on the other side. So let's cover it the other side. So, yeah. You know, we, we've, we've had uh, people, we've done big stunts where we've had big audiences and all the audiences uh, signed a hold harmless saying if something, you know, if a rock hits me, uh, you know, I'm not going to sue. But at the end of the day, guess what? If a rock hits them and their eye, they don't have an eye anymore, they can still sue and they can still win. <laughs> so, you know, you try to put things in place, but you know, it's, it comes down to also like just envisioning yourself in court and being able to say like, you know, I tried the best to have a safe set. There was an accident. This is what occurred. You know, they did say, they did sign my little release that said, if I'm standing here, you know, I'm acknowledging that I'm in a danger area. And then it's up for a judge to decide at that point too. So this, this is a, a good time to say, you need a safety person and you need training. You need production training. So you can have that list of production stuff, the production, uh, production procedure checkoff list. So you can get those people like the safety person. Most people don't have one. But you got yeah. to think about this stuff. Yeah. I, I would say it depends on what type of shoot it is. You know, right yeah. now, if it's a COVID shoot, 
you should probably have a COVID coordinator on yeah. set. And that's somebody that's responsible for making sure everybody gets their, their COVID tests prior to filming. They're sending daily temperatures. You know, they, they're not allowed to enter set before they get the, mm. the forehead temperature you know, so on and so on. Uh, they're in, in control of the safety meeting at the beginning of the day, telling everybody this is how the set's going to flow right now, right. Uh, setting up the rules. Um, so that's something you might not want to think about and, you know, have somebody that is thinking about that on set. Um, and sometimes it's a medical professional that's that safety coordinator. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Very good. Hi. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so that that brings me to a question. I was reading your blog on the Austin Entertainment site, and um, uh, we briefly talked about set etiquette before. And this is the COVID stuff is is slightly set etiquette, you know, um, because you're trying to that's the protection thing, but you also have you're going to be wearing masks and things like that. But you talk about the soccer soccer. Uh, issue that you had when the girls were all playing out and, and they're really loud and the music was loud and you came over and you and you dealt with that. Um, but can you talk a little bit about set etiquette in the stance from behind the camera, not necessarily the actors in front of the camera, but being respectful of various different things that happen with cast and crew, as well as people that might be in your space, location or whatever. I would love for you to talk about that as a producer. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at IMBD and look at some of these movies that get directed and produced by the same people time and time again, if you start looking below, you'll start seeing the same uh, production designer, uh, gaffer, grip, camera. There's a reason for that. Um, as, you, as you keep making these projects over and over again, you realize who's the... Uh, who's the one that doesn't have good set etiquette and you know, who's the, who's the family that can just get it done and right. you start kind of weeding those, those people out. And that's why this is such a referral based um, business. Cause it's scary to bring a new family member into your family. Cause you don't know if they're going to jive, you know, because you become like a, a, a bee's nest where each bee has the job and they're doing it. And eventually you've got honey. Um, and, but, you know, if there's a, a mosquito that gets in there and, you know, could mess the whole thing up. <laughs> yeah. you know, so we've, we've had, um, you know, oftentimes it's a production assistant that can uh, cause a lot of headaches because they're, they're new. They don't know what they're doing. And we all understand that, you know, like that's your entry position into the industry to start to learn. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've had a production assistant <laughs> where, um, uh, they were the one thing with the director that I was working with is he hated it if he could see anybody in his vicinity on their cell phone. He thought it was disrespectful and rude. And the hard thing with being on set is like sometimes me, the producer, or whoever, we've got to make a phone call. We've got to deal with a situation that's handling. So it was always trying to remember like walk out of his vision if you've got to do that. When also you don't want to be near the set if you're talking because you're going to ruin the audio. So this, this, uh, this production assistant kept being within the vicinity, being seen on his phone. And uh, not only that, the production manager was uh, wanting him to keep an eye on set, keep things clean. And she kept finding him on his phone talking to his girlfriend and, uh, while he's supposed to be working. Meanwhile, I'm uh, at our production offices and I'm trying to renegotiate the deal with our landlord um, on a studio lot, like I think we were going to stay another month or two. And he's like, by the way, do you happen to know whose car is parked like right in the middle of the studio lot, like not in a parking spot? And I'm like, that's so weird. I saw that when I pulled in, I was thinking like, who the hell would do that? I just figured maybe their car died. And so fast forward later on that day, uh, security knocks on uh, my bungalow and is like, well, we've deduced down that it's your production or a staff person of yours that has parked there and that needs to be moved immediately. Now they're mad at me yeah. and um, I'm going, oh my gosh. So I'm calling the production manager and I sent a picture of this kid's car to her. Is this this kid's car? And she, she confirms with him. Yes, it is. Okay. Oh my gosh. He just parked randomly. Now this entire studio lot is pissed at our production because this production, this guy just decided to park wherever. 
Um, so anyways, needless to say, uh, we got his keys, we moved his car, and he never worked with us again after that day. Was it the same kid that did the phone? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, poor kid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So we've, we've had a lot of situations like, like, like his story that were, for some reason, people, people go to college and they study and they, they, they feel really smart and they get their degree. And then they end up, and then they want to work in the entertainment business and they become a production assistant, which in their mind, they're like, this job is below me, blah, blah, blah. And somehow they lose all common sense. <laughs> like, like things you would normally do in your real life commonsensically. Um, like you just lose your common sense or, and I don't mean to bring this up as an example. It's a horrific example, but I mean, we know the story about the uh, sound person that was standing on the train tracks that got killed by a yeah. train. It's yeah. like, if you weren't filming something, would you be standing on a train tracks? Like, how do you like, and I've seen this happen so many times because you get into the bubble of set where everything's fake and make believe you forget, like you've got to actually still be a real person <laughs> and do common sense things. Yeah. And then having people, having your teammates also look, look out for you. Um, so, so wait a minute, you just mentioned this. You have all these, all these smart people come from college, right? So where do they learn set etiquette? Because they don't, they don't. They, it's, you know, there's not like a class. It's like, okay, we're going to teach you set etiquette. Um, you know, there are the projects that you do with people in film school or college or, you know, just on your own where right. you just go and do it, you know, it's free, you use the college camera equipment or whatever. And right. you can maybe start to learn it that way and kind of see, oh, okay. You know, I see how this is, is flowing. Right. Maybe you learn it that way. The best thing you can do is get on set and keep your eyes open, try to make yourself useful and stop chattering and, you know, just be aware. Um, you know, I'll, there, there'll be times where I'll have five production, you know, production assistant, their job is to, you know, sometimes take out the garbage, organize the craft services table, just mm -hmm. get people a new walkie, go do an errand. Yes, that's below most of us. You know, that's not something that you dreamed that you were going to be doing with your career. But at the same time, it's so important. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if, if my bat walkie battery dies, I need another one like soon, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm the one that's talking to people. And so if that production assistant decides to, you know, just stop and chat with somebody and not get me the walkie, the whole ship could go down, you know, like it's, even though it's dumb, it's so important. Mm -hmm. And people think that they're not being watched, you know, that their job's not important, but I can't tell you what, I, or I, you know, I have a, I have a production assistant on my current show. Mm -hmm. She's, she showed up on day one and she had the, the belt and the tape and the pens and the, like, she looked like, oh my gosh, this girl's ready to go. Like if somebody says, I need a Sharpie, she's going to be like, here you go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and sure enough, that's how she handled set. She was just locked down. She was in there. Like, figuring, like she was like filling holes without anybody asking her to fill right. the hole. Like she was like there. So and I'll tell you what, valuable. yes, after, after two weeks, I was like, look, I want to make you the key set PA. You're the one that tells the other PAs what to do because you know what you're doing. And then um, after four months, we just gave her a title bump to associate producer. Um, so she started as a regular PA. She's an associate producer now because mm -hmm. that girl just every time there was a task to do, she showed up and did it better and showed up and showed up and showed up and showed up. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can pass so much stuff to this girl and she just handles it. Right. It takes a burden off you. I mean, if you're trying to do other things, you need somebody that takes initiative that can do their thing. You know, what I appreciated about that soccer piece was that location is part of the whole plan, part of the whole creation as well. And sometimes you have people that aren't part of the system of the, of the creation that you're doing, you're producing your project. And people forget because they're so like, I'm in Hollywood or whatever that is at that moment for producing whatever they're producing. And some team members forget that the people that you're around have to be respected. Yes. And so that's what I got is like, okay, she, at one point, these people are having their own life and they don't care about what's happening over here. And that was being, they felt completely ignored and you've, you've, you calm that whole situation by bringing them into the story in a sense, but also letting them have their own. I mean, they were supposed to be in their own world as well. So 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, to catch anybody up that's listening or that's not read the piece, um, it, it started with some people being really loud in the pool or in the waterway and nearby in the park. We were filming in the park and it was really, really hot. Um, so that was a really fun activity for them to be doing on a hot day. And, but they were killing our audio, ruining it. And our actors were just dying of heat stroke and we couldn't get the take because the audio just kept getting killed. And so first somebody from our production walked over and just tried to buy them off. Uh, you know, hey, we're filming over here and we have a permit to be here. You know, can you guys keep it down? When they wouldn't keep it down, then they tried to buy them off. And then they got even louder. So then wow. it, it culminated to me going over there and saying, I'm really, really like, it's not about me. And, and we all know this in life. It's never about me. It's about you. So if I want something, I got to like appeal to you because you doesn't care about what I need. You cares about what you need. <laughs> so I was like, well, what do they need? They need a nice fun day. They're in the water having fun. They don't care about our production. So I walked over there and I was like, I am so sorry for interrupting your, your, your nice day over here. Um, is there any way, like you don't know me and I don't know you, is there any way that you could do me a favor? I have an elderly man over there who's about to like have a heart attack from heat stroke because we just cannot get this scene done because of the, of the audio problems we're having and I'm worried about him. And this is a passion project and people aren't getting paid a lot. And you know, they're, they're starting to get teary and they're starting to get upset. Is there any way you could just keep your voices down for like a half hour? And they were like, yes, <laughs> like they just needed to hear a story. Sure. You know, like I respect you, here's the problem. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they probably put their, you know, if they have a grandparent, they probably think about grandparent. You know, I, I would hate right. that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, the connection was made. And yeah, so I appreciate that. That's a, that was a really good story. So. You know, there's a person that commented, um, you know what? It's about sales and empathy at the same time. Mm -hmm. you know, empathy. You're empathetic. So mm -hmm. that's not taught anywhere a lot of times at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, and I, I think that's the thing that, you know, will make or break you with production is that everybody is very, very passionate and you've got to be empathetic um, within your own production too of, uh, allowing other people to get their jobs done and allowing yourself to get your job done. And sometimes it's, you know, internally pleading with somebody like, Hey, I, you know, this is what I was trying to do. <laughs> can you help me or can I help you? Or, you know, just being that sort of, you know, I respect you, you respect me sort of thing. Right. right. So as we're uh, starting to wind down, I, I have a question for you. If there's, one piece of wisdom, a few tidbits of wisdom. It doesn't matter how much. It's up to you to 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 share. But you can impart on the audience um, from your standpoint of being in this business. I would love to know what that would be. Um, sure. I think having as many mentors as you can have your entire life, and um, and asking lots of questions and figuring out it, what it is that various people do it's so easy to get lost because there's so many different jobs in the entertainment business when and most people start by just saying i want to be in the entertainment business mm -hmm. what does that mean you know do you like to write do you like to work 14 hours a day as a producer <laughs> you know like do you do you like electricity do you like to set the mood of lighting you know like trying trying to kind of figure out and maneuver but you know having this um this separate sort of group of mentors that you can call on speed dial whenever you get stuck. <laughs> I have them. I have like, I have like 10 of them and I'm, co I'm constantly talking to them and I'm constantly owing them because they will pick up the phone for me. And I'm like, okay, I'm in this situation. I don't know what to do. You know? Um, so that's super helpful. And, um, you know, just realizing that you will never know it all. Every situation is different. And, um, you know, don't beat yourself up because this is not a perfectionist game. This is, you know, I will try to do it the best and ask as many questions and have as many people that know it better than me around me. Right. Awesome. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for being here today. Jill, do you have anything else you would like to say? I would like to say thank you. Ah. <laughs> I've given oh. Last year and this year, maybe next year, but you've given, given consistent actionable advice 
and I definitely appreciate it. So thank you very much. Oh, speaking of which, I, I wanted just to invite everybody. Uh, I think uh, Austin Action Fest is such a, a fantastic thing, and I can already see 15 years from now, it's just this global, amazing event. Um, and I want to invite everybody, if you haven't checked out austinentertainmentbusiness.com, also, because I continue to try to help people get jobs and try to help connect people. Um, I also opened it up to uh, globally um, to a gr group which I named All Entertainment Business because everybody's kind of familiar with the AEB. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, now that we're on Zooms, um, we still do the same sort of format where people can um, listen to a really cool guest speaker, and then we open up the mic for people to offer jobs, and then pitch yourself. And then we go into networking rooms where people can continue to connect. And the last couple have been 170 people-ish on a Zoom. Awesome. When is the next one? Uh, on, on that point, though? It's you, July 23rd. Okay. Thank July you. July 23rd. Cool. So, thank you, Danielle. On that last call, that the five, no, like five to seven people that we went on for over an hour after everyone logged off, that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, we need to make that a show. Um, <laughs> yeah, but thank you for that for that platform, and I definitely appreciate it. We really appreciate you, and we appreciate all the help. And there's tons of people, and you know, we will hit you <clears> up. <throat> yeah, so just, uh, hit you up as well. And we appreciate. <laughs> yes, thank you for having me. All right, you take care. You have a great day. Okay. All right. You too. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Austin Action Fest podcast.